Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an award-winning show that inspires, educates, and empowers patients, survivors, and caregivers to live well with cancer. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, a program that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Natalie Castelli, Senior Director at the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal. Whether accessing our free services in person at one of 175 locations, online, or over our toll-free helpline, you're getting a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. I was recently reading the New York Times when a headline literally stopped me in my tracks. It read, we must learn to look at grief even when we want to run away. And in her essay, Dr. Sunita Puri writes, it's natural and perhaps instinctive to want to look away from mortality, to deny its existence or banish it to a shadow world. But before us is an opportunity to examine rather than bury the loss and grief around us, even if, especially if, it is not our own. Dr. Puri goes on to write, I have learned to look when I want to look away. I have chosen to stay when I'd prefer to run out of the room and cry. The prelude to compassion is the willingness to see. End quote. Grief is an emotion which with I've struggled, and the idea of running away literally and figuratively is all too familiar. If we've learned anything during these pandemic years, it's that grief and loss come to us in many ways. Some are large, others are seemingly small. Well, with us today to help us learn more about this emotion and to share insights and advice about how to cope with our own feelings of loss and support others who may be grieving is one of the smartest people I know, my friend and colleague, Susan Ashley. And let me tell you a little bit about Susan so that you can understand just why I reached out to her to come on the show today. Susan is an oncology social worker with over two decades of experience. She's focused her career on building robust supportive care oncology programs, which include psychosocial research, integrated psychosocial support, advanced illness coordination, and post-treatment survivorship. She's particularly interested in how resiliency models and positive psychology interventions can increase well-being, enhance life satisfaction, and personal growth and change. As CSC's Vice President Clinical Services, Susan oversees our helpline navigation program and all program services throughout our organization. Prior to joining CSC, Susan was the director of clinical social work for Rocky Mountain Cancer Centers, Colorado's largest provider of cancer care. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you, Natalie. What a fabulous introduction. Um, I'm glad to sit here with you to talk about something so important. Um, But I wonder if I could just indulge us for a moment um, and acknowledge First of all, what you just read out of the New York Times, but acknowledge what has happened to all of us really collectively over mm-hmm. the past two years, right? All those big and small, uh, invisible and visible losses that we have each uni- uniquely sustained. And 
as I was kind of preparing for this conversation today, I was reminded of this kind of real fabulous um, quote by Haruki uh, Murakami. And I feel like it really mirrors what you uh, just touched on uh, and kind of the, just the experience, not only of COVID, but the grief itself. Um, grief like COVID has been a storm, right? And we've all been experiencing this storm, but we're all in different boats experiencing, right? So we all have different um, places that we sit. But the, the, the saying is really, and once the storm is over, right? Whether that's COVID, will it ever be over, right? Are we, or is that, are we finally out of the pandemic? But also grief. So once that storm is over, you won't, you won't remember how you made it through um, or how you even managed to survive, right? You won't even be sure whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. And um, I'm hoping that that quote really centers what we're going to talk about today, which is we have to walk through the storm and we need to know as we're walking through and alongside it that we're going to be changed, right? So you asked a little bit about my background a moment ago. You, you read all those fancy words. And yes, I have a fancy title and I was trained as a social worker um, spending my time uh, in cancer. Um, but what I'm really here um, as is I'm a griever, just like you and probably everyone else who's listening, right? I've experienced my own deep and significant losses in my lifetime and each of them very different. And each of those losses uh, really needed its own attention um, and in its own time and in different ways. Well, I am going to take a half step back to look at these fancy terms we used in your bio, uh, because I think there's an opportunity for folks also just to get a sense of um, the different areas of specialties that are out there in case they need to connect with different resources. So um, you've worked in both palliative care and hospice care. Those two terms get uh, often confused by people. um, And sometimes those resources, when appropriate, are not tapped into. Could you just take a moment and walk us through what those two specialties are and how they connect back to healthcare and cancer care. Sure. Yes, we use them often uh, and unfortunately interchangeably. We will often say palliative and hospice care in one breath. Um, They're a little bit different. Um, uh, So let's start with palliative care. That's a specialty um, that really comes alongside folks that are coping and living with a serious illness. That could be cancer, it could be heart failure, um, or other sorts of illnesses. Um, Patients in palliative care continue to receive usual care, right? Uh, Palliative care just is an, uh, an additional support that really helps folks endure and cope with the treatment that they're um, that they're undergoing, right? And so it's the pain management, both the physical pain as well as the emotional pain that might come up and arise. And we really recommend getting uh, palliative care on board early and often because it helps you cope with uh, all of the ways in which, in particular, chemotherapy or radiation therapy might impact someone focuses there. Hospice care, however, is really on the other side of that continuum when um, a disease is no longer curative and someone is really focusing um, at end-of-life care, um, that's when hospice can come in because at some point 
in many illnesses that won't be possible to cure that illness. Um, and so hospice can happen in a home, uh, in a facility, and really is that wraparound care for both patients and families, family when someone is preparing for death. For death. The, um, thank you for clarifying that. It's super, super important for folks. Um, the other term I threw around a lot when I read your bio was psychosocial, which yeah. um, sounds pretty odd to most of us, but what does psychosocial actually mean? Gosh, yes, we like to use all these big words that regular people, um, you know, don't use in day-to-day life. But what's the word psychosocial is really in reference to, particularly as in my work as a social worker in this space, is really um, what it means to be human, right? Cancer or any illness uh, or any loss always happen in the social realms of life right? It happens in the context of families and communities. And so the word psychosocial then is that umbrella term for all of the mental, emotional, social, financial, and spiritual effects of a disease. Um, So when you think about cancer or grief, uh, it's all those changes in how we think, what we feel, the way we we cope, um, and everything else that goes into adjusting and adapting to illness or loss. Thank you, Susan. So with no further ado, let's actually dive into today's topic, which is grief. What is in fact grief? What what does this word mean? Yeah, what a big word that we use um, or misuse all the time. Uh, And I was thinking, um, so during the pandemic, all of us started, um, you know, diving deep into series of TV shows and my family, was not unique and we really linked into Ted Lasso. And last fall through Ted Ted Lasso's Twitter feed, um, the following was tweeted. I like to think grief is the price we pay for truly loving someone and it's worth every penny. Um, And so of course, grief doesn't just occur after the death of someone we love. Grief or or the experience of grief occurs during any change, transition or loss, big or small, finite, or non-finite. So grief in, in, in the most simplicity is a normal response to loss. Uh, grief can happen uh, in response to a loss of life like death or any sort of uh, change uh, to daily routines and the way that life uh, usually brings us comfort and stability. So we talk about the experience of acute grief and that's that time, that initial period right after the loss. And it's real strong and intense feelings of emotions, yearning, longing, sadness. And these are things that I'm sure all of us have experienced um, uh, in our lifetimes, right? So one of the things that was really eye-opening to me was that um, you talked to me about the range of experiences Mm -hmm. that can lead to feelings of loss and grief. Um, and that there are different forms of grief. We've just got about two minutes to the break, so we may not get to all of them. We'll continue on the other side of the break uh, with anything we don't get to. Why don't we start talking about these different forms of grief that um, people can experience? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that forward, because in the process of living our lives, we encounter losses on a regular basis, but we often do not recognize their significance because we tend to 
think of a loss as finite, that we only have grief when something final happens, like the death of someone. Um, and so we associate that um, with death and dying. Um, but grief is normal and um, part of, uh, of life. And, um, and so there are some real specific terms that I like to use when we talk about grief, because I think it makes it more accessible. Um, and I can, uh, it can help us recalibrate what we're experiencing and actually normalize that what we too are experiencing is what we call grief and loss. And so I can rattle off some of the types of grief um, and then I'll focus on a few of those as well. Well, I'm being told we're almost out of time. So why don't you rattle off the list? And then when we come back from break, we'll dive into them one at a time. Sure. So we'll just, we'll go through them. There's something called anticipatory grief, ambiguous loss, complicated grief, chronic grief, collective grief, disenfranchised grief, living loss, loss of the assumptive world, um, and traumatic grief. And so we'll get into those uh, when we return. Absolutely. So like I said, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're really going to take a close look at these different forms of grief. Um, Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Natalie Castelli. Today, we're talking about grief, an emotion that can be frightening, overwhelming, and confusing. With us to help us better understand and cope with grief is my friend and colleague, Susan Ashley. 
Susan is CSE's Vice President, Clinical Services. She's an oncology social worker with over two decades of experience. So Susan, before we went off on break, you started, you gave us the list of um, different forms of grief. So let's go right back to it and take a look at each of them one at a time. Great. And, and just so you know, there's others as well, right? And um, the reason why I wanted to talk about them is that specificity allows us to have some breathing room to talk about our grief. Um, so one of the um, uh, types of grief is what we call collective grief. And I want to start there because I think it's accessible to all of us because the past two years in particular, we globally have experienced uh, collective grief. And here in the United States, we certainly have. And so whether it's COVID or uh, George Floyd, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, um, those are a few ways in which we together are living the full impact of this a collective experience in, in real time. And there's countless individual uh, tragedies that COVID um, has bubbled up and that cumulative and mutual loss is something we need to recognize. So even if you yourself did not have a family member or someone you love die of COVID, just bearing witness to that global loss of life is what we call collective grief. And that stress really impacts how we move through the world. So for many, having specificity and terminology like I just spoke about can bring some um, comfort um, because again, we can limit ourselves so much uh, with that word grief. Um, so another form of grief that comes up a great deal, particularly for uh, cancer patients that I've worked with, is what I what we call a living loss. Okay, mm. um, and so that's those non-finite, um, you know, uh, sense of grief. So this represents how we may experience chronic or ongoing sorrow. It's the space between what is and what should have been. So imagine getting a cancer diagnosis. That's not what was supposed to happen on today's calendar, right? So now I've got to recalibrate between what is cancer diagnosed and what I wanted and what should have been. And so this captures how you thought you'd be spending your time uh, compared to in reality, how you are spending your time. So examples of living losses are retirement, uh, divorce or separation, a cancer diagnosis, and for some folks, fertility. Maybe I had a dream of having children and I'm no longer able to do that because uh, of cancer. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, that idea does. of living loss, right? We can imagine all the ways we've experienced that. Another form of grief that comes up a great deal um, for caregivers and cancer patients is what uh, is been coined by uh, Pauline Boss and it's called ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss is grief in limbo, right? Um, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. So ambiguous loss can occur when there's a physical absence with psychological presence. Okay, so these are the grief um, or examples of which uh, loss um, of divorce, adoption, right? So someone may not be gone physically or dead, but they're missing, right? They're missing psychologically. The other is that there's a psychological absence with a physical presence. 
So um, this is experienced by caregivers who are caring for someone with Alzheimer's. So they're physically present in the home, but because of their cognitive changes, they're missing, right? And so that's a loss that can't seem to be attended to. And it comes up a great deal, um, these ambiguous losses for people with cancer. So someone with a brain tumor, their caregivers may say, gosh, the person I love looks like themselves, but they're no longer themselves, right? Uh, because of how um, the tumor has changed them. There's also this concept called the loss of the assumptive world. This happens all the time uh, when we grieve. We all have developed over time these assumptions and beliefs about the, how the world will work, right? If I'm a good person, good things are going to happen to me. It's our sense of stability in the world. And so when we grieve, when we have a loss that we weren't prepared for or that is assault to the way we think life should work, um, we grieve that as well. Um, and I find these terms are really um, metaphors for the cancer experience. Uh, finally, I want to tap into what is called disenfranchised grief. Um, and this is grief that is invalidated or minimized or maybe not ever acknowledged. Um, and we can feel a sense of loss that is not rec recognized by people around us right? Such as when people say, we should be happy that we're alive. This happens all the time when someone finishes treatment and now they're experiencing all of the living losses of having cancer and all of their well-meaning friends and family rush in and say, don't worry about it. You shouldn't be feeling sad. You're alive. It could be a lot worse. You could have it a lot worse, right? And we invalidate people's um, grief all the time by rushing in and trying to make it rosier instead of really recognizing all the ways in which these losses, big and small, are um, impacting us. So those are just a couple of terms that come up a great deal, both in grief work when I work with bereaved, as well as folks that are facing a life-threatening illness like cancer. I'm wondering if that makes sense to you. And if, it all, if it all made sense. And the fact that you know, we can start to, even within ourselves or what we've observed, start to draw lines um, and have that comfort that, oh, okay, hold on. This is something that happens to people because it's been identified is incredibly reassuring. Um, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show, Susan, that I could personally relate with Dr. Puri's remarks about wanting to run out of rooms because uh, I actually ran, um, like my feet just started going and to me, it sounded like my boots were just thundering. I couldn't breathe. I didn't know where I was going. Like I've asked myself since then, where were you going? And what did you think you were going to find when you got there? And I, I had no answer. And when you said to me, there is actually a physical response to grief, it just made me feel like I'm not crazy. I didn't have a crazy moment that my body was I don't know, I guess, fight or flight, something. But can you talk about that a little bit? Because it's really scary when you just sort of blank out. It was like autopilot. I went into autopilot there for a while. Yeah, I can completely appreciate that. Um, yeah, so first, you're not crazy. But the feelings, 
of, of grief that bubble up both emotionally and physically can sure make you feel crazy. Some people will have this experience like you running out of the room, not even sure where you're running to. And others people will describe, I felt glued to my seat. <laughs> like I couldn't get up. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to get out of my body and yet I couldn't. And so when you're grieving, your body is always letting you know that it's in distress and um, people can experience body aches and digestive issues and sleep problems and fatigue and brain fog all throughout um, this experience um, with grief. Um, so yes, grief is not just an emotion. It's a full contact sport, right? You're feeling it um, in every way that you can imagine feeling it, including physically. So prior to speaking to you about grief, as we prepared for today's episode, the extent of my knowledge was limited to a class I took in high school. I was a senior. I am still kind of mystified as to why I remember this, but um, there was a unit on grief. And we learned about the five stages of grief, which to Mm -hmm. this day, I remember they are, they are uh, denial, DABDA, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And high school was a while ago now. I'm Mm -hmm. just wondering, do these stages that we learned about back in the day, do they actually capture how people grieve? Well, let's talk about those stages, right? Um, and first, let me um, just say to anyone who is really utilizing the stages and it's bringing them some comfort, I want to acknowledge that and I don't want to take that away from you. But I also want to say out loud that grief generally uh, is never experienced in a tidy and linear way. And that actually those the concept of the five stages that was introduced in the 1960s by Dr. Kubler-Ross was really based on her study and research on the emotional experiences of dying patients. Her work was not focused on the bereaved at all. And yet these stages have been misappropriated in our culture to describe the grief process, a grief process which is very complex and never experienced as a ladder or a step. Um, and that there's really been no evidence uh, scientifically that people go through these stages. They may experience the emotions that you've described as the stages, uh, but no matter how much we um, really want it to be true, a simple bullet point uh, guideline for the human emotions of grief just usually doesn't happen. Um, but let me lean into why the stages are so, um, why we hold on to them so tightly. And it's because as humans, we absolutely love the idea um, of, of making grief predictable. I mean, I know I do, right? We are pattern seeking people and we want to make sense of the most, um, make sense of an often unpredictable and uncertain world. Um, So for some, the idea of the steps or stages can bring pressure and guilt, right? Because they'll think, oh my gosh, I'm not doing this grief thing right. Or why can't I get to acceptance? And for others, it might bring some comfort. But I just really want to express that grief is a process that happens in waves and twists and turns um, and not in a perfect order. Well, this is a perfect place to pause, Susan, because we've got to take our next break. 
Um, but we're going to be coming right back in just a few short minutes. Today's episode has been brought to us in part by Bristol Myers Squibb, Estellas, ASI, Pharmacyclus, Foundation Medicine. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Natalie Castelli, and today we're tackling a difficult and uncomfortable topic, grief. And I'm joined by my friend, Susan Ashley, for this important conversation. Susan is an oncology social worker, and her articles have appeared in prestigious publications such as the Journal of Psychosocial Oncology, and she's a past recipient of the American Psychosocial Oncology Society's Outstanding Clinical Care Award. So I feel very fortunate for us to have Susan with us today to to talk about grief. Um, Susan, my understanding is that depression can look like grief, or grief can look like depression, I guess, depending on how you look at it, but that the two are actually quite different. Um, What is depression and why is grief uh, sometimes confused with it? Yeah. Um, and, this, and before I start describing that, that's why it's so important that when you're grieving, you really um, find uh, support from an expert in grief, right? So that they can tease out 
what you're really experiencing. But the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, the ending of a relationship are all difficult experiences for all of us to endure. And it is normal uh, for feelings of sadness uh, to uh, develop in a response to these situations. And those experiencing loss often describe themselves as being depressed. But being sad is not the same as having depression. And the grieving process, while natural, is also unique to every individual. And that grief shares some features with depression. Uh, both grief and depression may involve intense sadness and withdrawal, but they're they're different in some of the core features. So with with loss or grief, we see a real the core feature being yearning, longing. Um, continual thoughts and memories of either the deceased or those things that um, they're grieving, where a core feature of depression is dysphoria and anhedonia. And that's fancy for unease uh, and generalized dissatisfaction with life or the inability to feel pleasure. Um, you know, when people are grieving, painful waves of emotions uh, will be triggered by reminders, whereas depression is very consistent and persistent. Um, there's more agitation. Um, there's more of a sense of feeling unmotivated, unbearable pain or a feeling of worthlessness. And those are not the same things that come up for grievers. Um, so there is a distinction. And sometimes for folks that are not, who are having real complicated grief, prolonged grief without support, um, certainly we want to pay attention and watch them for depression. Um, and there, if someone uh, before uh, their grief, uh, before the loss of someone they loved was experiencing depression, we're going to flag them for following them for depression. So there is some overlap. Um, and what a good clinician or physician will do for you is really tease out what is persistent, what is consistent, um, how do the emotions come and go or don't they? And that's how we, we will then uh, be able to distinguish between those two states. And that is a really brief overview of a very complicated uh, distinction between those two things. Yeah. I think it's so important for um, people to hear that because sometimes you, you're not sure what you're feeling or what you're seeing. So it's reassuring to kind of have that distinction um, to, uh, to consider. You've also shared with me, Susan, that grief can be accompanied by other feelings, such as guilt or regret. Could you speak to those a little bit, that combination of emotions that sometimes occurs? Sure. But let me go one step further before I describe guilt. Let me take a moment to describe all the emotions of grief, because grief in of itself isn't the emotion. Grief is the experience of a loss. Um, so the emotions that come up for people are shock, numbness, disbelief, confusion, disorganization, yearning. They can have a sense of anxiety or panic, fear. Sometimes they have real intense emotions like anger or blame. Behind that is sadness, relief, release. And then I describe some of the physical symptoms, right? Muscle pains, insomnia, some folks have more spiritual symptoms, questioning. And then you talked about guilt and regret, right? And guilt and regret are very common in grief. Um, and it is natural for us to go back and review. Um, could I have said something differently? 
Should I have done something differently, right? Um, and allowing ourselves to review um, is important. Um, uh, but part of grief is also reconciling with that, that there might not be things that you can change or, or could have done differently. Those should have, could have, would have that come up. Susan, what role do rituals and tradition play in helping to cope with grief? And I know for me, the first thing that comes to mind is funerals, but, um, and I definitely want to make sure we do talk about that, but what are some of the rituals people have told you about um, outside of that context that have helped them cope with, uh, with grief and with loss? Sure. So let's talk first about those finite losses, um, like a death. Um, funerals, ceremonies, rituals uh, really are so important for folks. They help us um, process our thoughts, our feelings, and they give us a collective outlet and a communal way of sharing our grief. Um, but long after the funeral, um, there's still a need for ritual and ceremony. Right, And so many folks on the anniversary of someone's death or their birthday, families will create or co-create new rituals to celebrate um, the person and uh, to acknowledge their absence. But every family I've ever worked with um, uh, after death or during a cancer diagnosis has their own language, their own culture, uh, cultural way of uh, creating ritual, but it's very important. The act of sitting in a support group for cancer patients is a ritual, a storytelling of bearing witness um, to each other's uh, grief. Um, let me give you an example of how this can look. Um, several years back, one of my colleagues um, retired, and as she was preparing for that, after 40 years as a social worker, the team of social workers that I was sitting on uh, decided that we wanted to create a ritual for this transition because we all understood that ritual is so important, marking the ending of something so that you can start your new beginning, right? Um, so here's this um, closure, this ending, this grief where she's going from, I'm a worker, this is where my identity is, to now I'm no longer going to be working. And what does that mean for me? So we created a ritual to support this threshold crossing. Each of us got a bead um, that we brought into the circle and it described something about her. And at the end of the ritual, she had this necklace um, that had all of these memories and gratitude for the ways in which she had touched all of us as her colleagues. And she walked out of the room with this amazing, gorgeous array of, you know, beads you would have never put together. And it was her ritual of marking the ending of her career and the beginning of something new. We were helping ourselves and her recalibrate the loss of this transition um, and also to find ways to celebrate it. So does that make sense in the, in the form of this is not about death, this is a retirement, how important ritual then became, not only for her, but for those of us who were going to have to say goodbye. Well, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That makes it really quite beautiful. However, I think we've also all heard those stories where people were not on the same page about ritual. So um, we've got about, we've just got a couple of minutes, but I'd like to touch on 
this idea that there's a right way to grieve. You kind of alluded to it earlier mm-hmm. when we were talking about the five stages, <laughs> the infamous DABDA. Um, but, you know, it can cause conflict between family members or even between friends. So can, can we just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So clearly there's no right way to grieve. There's no one grief shoe that fits all of us. And this comes up a lot uh, as people are, are planning uh, funerals and other sorts of rituals um, because we can have, you know, really strong feelings about what ritual should be in, in place. The goal that I, when I'm in the middle of that, so I've, I've conducted a lot of thorny family meetings as they are um, talking just about this issue, is first aligning ourselves with what our value is and what we're hoping to get from the experience of saying goodbye. And where are those commonalities? And where are those things that we can build together? This happens particularly for interfaith uh, families where there might be very different ritual, religious rituals and how those get incorporated um, in, in rituals, um, whether it's a marriage or a funeral, are very important and how you honor um, that. And mostly it's asking people to, um, uh, to sustain a little bit of discomfort in the midst of, of grieving. Uh, to be able to um, pull all of the ways in which we could ritualize so that everyone feels included in that process, so that there's a piece of someone um, captured within that ritual. So it takes some conversation at a time when most folks are not interested in conversation and are pretty exhausted. And so sometimes it takes a, a moderator, someone who can pull it all together um, to find that sweet spot for a ritual. But families and friends are made up of humans and humans will display a wide array of behaviors, particularly under pressure and especially under the pressure of grief. Um, So this would be if there are some thorny conversations, bringing someone in who can moderate that and who can bring out the best in, in, in all sides of that discussion. And where would somebody, I know we've got to cut to break because I'm getting messages that our time is up, but who, who could that moderator be? A friend, um, a counselor, um, some, uh, someone from hospice? Like who might we turn to to serve as that moderator? All of the above. So if you, have, if you were working with a social worker already, they're always well-trained to come in and do that. There are, there are folks um, at the funeral directors that are um, well um, experts in those conversations. Uh, any of uh, your pastors or, or rabbis uh, can suit that as well. And you can also have just an independent friend who's just really good at facilitating tough conversations also help with that. Um, so again, it's pulling in some unneutral party that can help you with that discussion. Great. Thank you, Susan. So we're going to take our next break. Um, it's going to be a quick one. So don't go away. Uh, We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Astellas, ASI, Pharmacyclics, Alchemies, Janssen Oncology, and Taiho Oncology. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Estellas, Isay, Pharmacyclics, Alkermes, Janssen Oncology, and Taiho Oncology. I'm Natalie Castelli, and we've been having a truly thoughtful and insightful conversation with Susan Ashley, CSE's Vice President, Clinical Services, about grief, what it is, and how to cope with it. Susan I cannot believe we're already up to our last segment. It's been nearly an hour already. Um, And there are still so many things I want to talk to you about. So I'm just going to jump right back in and just get everything I can out of you over these last few minutes. Great. What are some things that you suggest to people um, that can help with the grieving process? So first get support, but let me clarify what support because I think folks will immediately like, oh no I will never go to a support group so uh, support doesn't just mean um, a, a bereavement support group support comes in many shapes and sizes uh, body work individual counseling uh, spiritual counseling uh, as well as support groups but there's there's you know as many forms of grief there are many forms of grief support grief is not tidy and doesn't have a perfect beginning, middle, and end. And so also know that over time, you may need to get different levels of support. And that doesn't mean you're a bad griever. It just means you need new support. What people need, regardless of where they are in uh, their grief experience, is recognition. 
right? And recognition is in retelling the story, the story of loss, what's happened to me, the, the loss of life we once had or dreamed of having, and being able to retell the story so that our loss is experienced fully and that we also can extend beyond it. The next thing folks need from a support is having that space to remember and rebuild our bond, whether that um, bond is with the person who has died or the bond with our former self before illness, right? So the goal of grief is not to sever our connection with the person who died or with those parts of ourselves that are, has been changed or lost, but the goal of grief and the grief process is having permission and giving ourselves permission to connect ourselves with ourselves, right? To, to maintain that bond and not run away from it. Right. Finally, we want to rebuild and reinvent ourselves, right? And many cancer patients will say, I'm looking for my new normal. We hear that in COVID too. I guess it's our new normal. And that doesn't perfectly describe it. In some ways it can diminish because first we have to say, I don't want a new normal. I like the old way. Um, but part of, of the support we need is also um, having that space to reinvent ourselves after the loss. What, what do I want it to look like? And let me just mention recognizing our loss, remembering, building our bond, uh, really rebuilding and reinventing ourselves. Don't go in orderly stages. You don't do one and then the other. It's kind of happening all at the same time in a, in a tender, messy uh, process of grief. But everyone who grieves wants to be recognized for their loss, wants to be able to keep their bond with that uh, that has changed or is gone, and wants also the space to reinvent and retell the story um, of who they're becoming. So those are what people need. So with that in mind, if, how do we, how do we, how can we help someone who's grieving, right? What is that line between being helpful and, and not being helpful or being intrusive? You know, how can we support, what's, what are different ways we can support that person respectfully? Yeah. Um, so number one, don't shake with fear and don't avoid asking, um, asking questions, right. And avoiding the conversations. Uh, but one of my favorite questions to start with for folks is to simply say, what would support look like for you right now, right at this moment, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but what do you need right now? What would feel like support? I can tell you. Every newly bereaved person right now has a freezer full of lasagna. Uh, but the silence in their house is absolutely unbearable because many people are avoiding asking them, can I just sit with you? Uh, and that's, so the question is, what would support look like allows people to tell their story? So if the house is quiet, should we in fact be calling instead of texting? I think by all means necessary, communicate. Um, and just know that if someone doesn't pick up the phone, leave a voicemail because it can be just comfort when they most need it at three in the morning. They'll hear your voice and they'll know they're remembered and that they're not so deeply alone. So I started today's episode 
quoting um, Dr. Sunita Puri's guest essay in the New York Times, and I'd like to return to it as we come to the close of today's episode. Dr. Puri writes, I don't believe in moving on and finding closure. This language distills the messy complexity of grief into tidy sound bites and asks people to leave something behind, bury it or lock it away. The challenge for my patients and their families is the challenge for all of us. Can we instead move forward with grief? Can we find a way to integrate loss into life to carry it with us? You know, I'm thinking, Susan, that maybe the question that I've had all along and the reason I reached out to you is that when our hearts are just hurting so much, can we find a way to move forward with grief? Yeah, one foot in front of the other, right? Uh, And it takes a lot of courage and bravery to take that initial step because I think we're so afraid that if I start moving forward, that means that my grief wasn't significant. It means I'm moving on. And um, it's it's our greatest fear. Uh, right now, all of us have a story or, or multiple stories of grief that walk alongside us, with us every day. I'm a griever, just like everyone else. And those deep wounds of grief not only inform my day, but inform my work, right? And so the challenge before each and every one of us is how we will spend our days. Will we spend them pretending that we have been untouched by grief? Or will we be open to the tender, messy bits of life um, and integrate those losses and be kind and generous to one another, knowing that everyone we meet, whether it's at the grocery store or at the bus stop, has uh, a deep well of grief. Uh, And the, the antidote to grief is kindness, right? Can I see the layers of grief in you? And be kind enough so that you can see the layers of grief in me. That's how we walk each other home. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I know I've learned so much from you. And I have no doubt that our listeners have as well. So thank you for spending the hour with us. Um, It's been my pleasure to have all of you join us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Natalie Castelli, the Senior Director at the Cancer Support Community. As I mentioned earlier in the show, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephonic support. For more information about our programs, visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org or call us at 888-793-9355. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Connect with the Cancer Support Community every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network and online at cancersupportcommunity.org.